Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How far into this were you last time we spoke? Into the... Oh, this. What was the last time we spoke? When was the last time we spoke? I think it would have been end of November, would it? Yeah, so that that was yeah early early stages, um, like just planning, plotting, thinking, writing. Um, probably wrote like the basic backbone by then, um, but didn't sort of get into the hadn't gotten yet into the immutable like moving aspect of it in in practice, but in theory only. Like we just were thinking about exactly how that would work, I guess. When I messaged you about doing this and kind of hopping on the podcast to have a chat. You said it would be a good, a good kind of place to address some of the tougher questions that are popping up at the moment surrounding it. Yeah. At, at what point in the process did you kind of foresee those questions appearing? Very late on, because this, this, these questions weren't questions until like a month ago. This was a thing that probably sort of a hundred people were understood what it was until January, and obviously, sort of, for various reasons, it's it, it kind of took off into the public consciousness, and then at that time. Um, you start having the auxiliary questions, you know, which which came from so you know the the sort of like you know Ponzi scheme sellout question wasn't even a thing until it became that, which was sort of like when we'd finished making it. Um, and the environmental question again wasn't a question until about well, at least about NFT specifically, because I think that discourse is completely misguided. But it's a different story until about like. A month ago as well, when, when some artists wrote a blog post about how uh, this is really bad for the environment. So, you know, it's interesting, actually, because all of these questions that are like kind of like this, the, the main talking point now weren't, they weren't even part of the conversation until after we had finished the project. It's interesting because they both seem like questions that are fairly easy to kind of answer and put to one side. I mean, like, why are they still a part of the conversation? Is it just because it's new? I th- yeah, I think, I think... When something gets big, I think people like really like to to just be on one side of it. I mean, that might sound a bit like 
I don't know, like, oh, 21st century, postmodern. But, you know, it's really hard, I think, for people to, like, want to be nuanced about something, right? Either, either you hate or you love it kind of thing with new things. Yeah. And I think this is a new thing, and it comes from, like, the crypto world, which is, like, filled with sort of, like, mystery and uh, libertarian sort of, like, crazy people, right? <laughs> so it's really easy to see, okay, this comes from there. You know, Paris Hilton is doing uh, sort of this, and so is, like, The weekend and the SNL and whoever's doing it. Therefore, this must be a really bad thing, like, like capital letters, like bad thing. So then you're like, okay, if I ever see these three words again, then this is one of these really bad things that's happening. So I just, you know, it's just ease, right? Like it's, it's easier to just bundle everything up in one little pot rather than sort of expanding the cognitive effort to be able to say, oh, maybe this is not just one thing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same with everything is right now, isn't it? Nuance is gone either you're on one side or the other. There's yeah. There's no real space to be in between. And, that, that, and that's the important thing as well to mention is like on one side or the other because the people who are like super pro this as well they're like you know this is it this is, we, we figured out how to build communities and like this is the future of music forever and art and like you know we solved all the problems and uh, you know holding the new age of like utopians like no man like, come, calm down you know it seems like everyone <laughs> just it's, it's, it's a complete black and white picture right now which is sad because that means that there's no way for that to develop very easily when everyone's such a dogmatist about it. Does that leave space for people who are in the middle to kind of come in and push it in the, an interesting direction, though? Yeah, um, as long as... Well, like, yeah, so, so I mean, that's what we're doing, I think, right? Yeah. I think it does, but it might not um, sort of, I think, be as easy a thing to do in the short term because you're going to get resistance from the people that we mentioned earlier, and I don't think it's... What we're doing is sort of that easily digestible by the people that we're talking about later. So, so, you know, it's not as easily digestible by the sort of super hardcore crypto fans. And it's not as easily digestible or at least people who are sort of thinking that this is the devil might also find it hard to. So, you know, we're kind of like, I guess I'm expecting this not to be a sort of easy ride is what I'm saying um, in the short term. But I think in the long term, this kind of things, I think they will have a place. It's not the same as the internet, isn't it? People didn't understand what that was when it first came in. It took a good, I don't know, how long was the internet around for like 10 years before it really started to take off? Kind of mid-90s? Yeah, um, yeah, probably a bit more than that. Um, but, you know, people were actively using it. So small sections of people were act- actively using it, I think, for about 10 to 15 years before, before it took off even a bit to dial up, I think, yeah. How long have people been using this? The first sort of like attempts at doing things like that were about 2014 um, with what they were calling uh, color coins. So it's really interesting. So, you know, a Bitcoin started in 2011 and then they were like, okay, well, obviously, you know, one Bitcoin is always one Bitcoin. There's no way for us to differentiate which Bitcoin is, you know. So what they started doing very early on was like, okay, how about if we like sort of like color them and we say, well, this one is like a green coin and this one's a blue coin or whatever. You can trace them back, so to speak, right? Like you can say the one that was made at this point, we all agree it's blue quote-unquote blue is in like going to differentiate from the other ones. And then they start like attaching so like things there, right? So you'd say, well, this coin that was minted at this point um, comes with this image, right? So very sort of like almost DIY ways of mapping um, specific files onto uh, a, a, a specific like a transaction or a Bitcoin transaction in the network. So that was in about, I think, 2013, 2014. And then they realized that this is very sort of hard to do and a bit like arbitrary, right? The first NFT proper, which was like 
uh, a specific kind of token on the Ethereum blockchain, I think was in 2017 or 2016 um, with CryptoPunks and CryptoKitties and that kind of stuff. So that was, that was back then. So I, I guess five years now this has been going on for. So what, what were those, like, those first NFTs? They're really cool. So what exactly was it? What was kind of in it? What was the, the content of it? So the CryptoPunks were um, 10,000 unique little pixelized, pixelized sort of like faces, like avatars. Like they all had like, one had a hat, they all had a mustache and a pipe, you know, like different little pictures of people. And they were made on chain. So actually there, there was no off-chain file. Like everything was generated by the blockchain itself. Like it was like the exact sort of like how the pixels look were encoded in the chain itself because they're really small files. And they launched this, I think in 2017, and they just were like, okay, here's a thousand of them. You guys can pick them up, right? So, you know, that was sort of a little hype wave at the time. We're like, okay, look, essentially this little picture of this person is completely unique and it was made here and people just went and grabbed them. And now these are going for like half a million each for some reason. Uh, I guess, well, I, I think actually there is a reason because this is, this is a, like a digital archaeology kind of thing, right? Like uh, it's almost like archaeology um, because you're digging through the uh, metaverse, I guess, and you try and find these like artifacts that I know it's four years. It doesn't sound like a long time, but long time in the internet. Yeah, very long time in the internet age. So these are these have some value. They were the first sort of like ways to encode data, make it scarce on the chain, and did, uh, images and, and pictures like that. So. So, so um, Chris is doing an auction in like a few days of them. I really like them. I think they're, I think they're great because it was like sort of they have like this whole mythology around them because they were they started completely fair. It was like they just made them and they dropped them and whoever had a wallet could like you know access them right and like uh, take uh, um, sort of like claim them and they started like going off and early on people were just like trading them with each other for like pennies right. And then obviously that's usually how it starts. And then they've become this part of part of the part of, part of the mythology and the archaeology. Interestingly, that's that's something really funny that happened recently. Was like they found this forgotten project um, that was launched a few months after CryptoPunks that everyone forgot about, called like Moon Kitties. So someone launched Moon Kitties in like June 2017, where you could like adopt uh, adopt a moon cat, but no one really used it at the time. So people found it like recently. They're like, oh look at look at this thing that people made four years ago. And then people went in and like messed up the contracts and they found all these little moon cats. And it's like, that's so interesting. Again, it's like a sort of digital archaeology, just in a, such a sort of time span. But you're seeing the same sort of um, anthropological and sociological things happening, which is like people really like to be the ones who discover this unique little thing that happened. And it's lost and then refound and then re-understood. And, you know, you're seeing all these things that took like two, three generations happening in the space of like, a few years, um, same behaviors, uh, like chasing some sort of like forgotten uh, cultural artifact, which is literally like a JPEG on, 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 on the internet, right? <laughs> of, a, of a cat. But it's, it has exactly the same effect and exactly the same sort of behavior and exactly the same value as well, because it, that's why these things become valuable. I love this idea of archaeology and archaeology in the future being people like digging into the internet archives trying to find stuff like this and uncover it well, yeah for sure i mean this is i think you know i mean what whatever whatever happens we've created already this thing that's outside our control right like this sort of extra layer of reality on top of the, un- the physical reality we're gonna be uns- unscrambling that right like internet archivists and people like that this is gonna be a job in the future like a whole industry i think around like trying to understand 
even like you know one generation down where people like remembered what happened now we still it, it's still such a big sort of you know there's so much things here you know way more than any civilization sort of like had in physical terms right so much more everyone's confusing. a content creator exactly everyone's yeah. putting yeah. stuff out yeah. and there's seven billion what is it seven and a half billion of us now or something yeah yeah and even if like a quarter or a fifth of, of us are using it i think about probably a third or half of us are using the internet yeah there's so much content yeah it's like two three billion i think yeah yeah wild who's um so who's paying like half a million for these little jpegs of cats <laughs> so <laughs> i think people who made a lot of money in crypto uh, and I think there's a couple of different sort of like subtypes of that. So you have sort of the collectors, right? Who are like either, you know, sort of people who made like a thousand times their money when they invested like in 2013 or 2017. Uh, I think a way to sort of like use that is to feel like you're being the Medici family of the, of the internet age. You're like, I'm going to decide now what is culture, right? <laughs> and I'm going to try and fund the projects that like, I find interesting and exciting. Sort of. But obviously, you know, you, some of these people are like, like 19-year-old sort of computer science uh, nerds, right? So maybe they don't all have the eye for the art. <laughs> so I think you're seeing some misallocation of resources there. Because they're like, well, this is the thing that I believe is the future. Like these pictures of cats, right? And maybe, maybe that's the Medici family of today is going to decide that's the case, right? Like maybe if these people are end up sort of having that much of an impact on the culture, that's going to be the case. But I think we are seeing this like really on, almost parody in a way, or like comedy of, of how patron, patronage worked in like the Renaissance <laughs> on top of that, right? So that's, that's one kind of people, I think. The sort of like more benign situation is like people who actually do you view this as a cultural vehicle and whatever they end up sort of like paying for? I'm not going to judge the art necessarily, but it's like this sort of relationship there, this sort of like symbiotic relationship. On the other hand, you have people who are wash trading and money laundering. I think that's also a big chunk, right? You have something that you bought for cheap. You also have a hundred million in the bank because you made fuck tons of money on Bitcoin. So, you know, you're going to buy something and artificially inflate the price up to like, you know, 2 million, 3 million, so that the next guy is going to buy the thing you bought for really cheap for that much, right? So you, they're inflating the price of the things you're buying or they're selling it to each other, right? Which is something that happens in the traditional art world as well, but I think it's just much more transparent happening online. Is that where the pyramid scheme arguments start to come in as well when they see people inflating the price in that way? Yeah. Is that what kind of leads to those connotations? Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, in a way, crypto, this is something I was thinking about recently in my philosophy stuff as well. When, when someone says that, something is a pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme, what they're saying really is like, well, people, in order for this to work out, people want other people to join in. And, you know, sort of like that's how pyramid looks like, right? Like there's someone in the beginning and then there's more people and more people and everyone's sort of like inviting the next person to come along. Well, yeah, on the one hand, right, this can end up being sort of a crumbling pyramid where there's no ability to sustain this in the long term. On the other hand, sometimes the only way for something to take off is if it needs more people to come, 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 come on board, right? Like that's the only way for things to actually work out sometimes. Um, you need sort of like the promise of the next guy coming along in order for, for you to have, to, for you to make any sense for you to be there. Think about the internet, for example, right? It was sort of predicating the idea that everyone would be connected globally to each other. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense why we would build all these websites and all these things on top of, you know, the world, and, uh, unless it sort of replaced some of our interconnectivity in the first place. 
but then on, on the other hand that can go wrong when there is it's up, up it's impossible for it to be sustained in the long term and what we're seeing now with is with like the early stage of the nfts is that well we've run out of people who are interested in paying these kinds of sums for this kinds of art we're running out of these people so this is obviously a bubble in this sense right it, it, in a way it is a pyramid scheme because it's not sustainable but a pyramid scheme implies in intentionality on on the part of the actors that they're trying to make sure that people are getting scammed and then you know the rugs under their feet and i don't think that's an that's a fair representation of the, of the situation right now when that bubble burst that you were talking about there will that make it more accessible to everyone no i think it will make it lose the hype for a while and then the there will be time for the real things to start to, to being built right like that's what usually happens like the first phase of excitement and hype that eventually becomes so big that it becomes unjustified. People realize, wait a second, are we really paying millions for these kinds of things at this point in time? And then they stop doing that. But then you've sort of introduced some things, you've made some people interested in certain technologies, and then you're going to have some time where people are going to actually look at the edges of this without the frothy hype surrounding, let's do this quickly, let's make sure we do this now so that we get the most money for our you know, product back, etc. So I think what you're going to see is, I think it would be a really good thing for the bubble to burst because then you're going to have a situation where people will be thinking about how to make this artistically interesting rather than how to make the most money out of it. Because it's not going to be that pressure of the market, sort of like saying that, you know, this is your opportunity to make a million bucks for, from a three-day kind of work. And then the space will mature. The only way for this thing to mature and become part of our sort of artistic cultural framework is if it goes a bit slower at some point because it's gone way too fast is this kind of been in a constant acceleration since 2017 and just getting faster and faster like a stone going down a hill no well, the way these things go usually is like it's really quiet for a long time and then it suddenly takes off which is what happened a few months ago yeah exactly so this was just no one really knew anything about these things at all until like until like literally late january and I was sort of following along and I remember just, it was like, it wasn't a thing and then it was suddenly a thing uh, out of like almost nowhere. It took literally in the space of a month, this became from no one knows about it to everyone's talking about it to this is the future of art to this is a scam. Like it, in, in four weeks, it was so quick. The whole narrative just changed. It, I think it's because of, well, various factors, but you know, the whole crypto market is kind of like booming now. So when Bitcoin started going up, then this followed. And then it was like sort of everyone put all their attention on it. And it became so saturated and so people just jump along trying to make, you know, all the celebrities were trying to make some money from it. And then it became a, a scam idea. And now we're on the way down, actually, I think. Finally enough. When did that start? Probably the moment was like when it was on SNL. <laughs> <I think. laughs> you know, like you have this... Like kind of like once your average Joe's aware of it. Yeah. Well, when when your average when when, the, when S, SNL is selling an NFT, it's like when you know, okay, here we are, right? Like when it's just like that, that everyone's trying to squeeze some milk out of it. Is when you know that, like, okay, I get it. Like this is just not gonna, is not gonna, not gonna work at this, you know, at this space, obviously, because everyone's jumping on it, uh, and they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Again, it's like the idea that you know I'm selling a JPEG or a GIF has now become synonymous with what NFT is. And they're not synonymous, right? Like a non-fungible token is a non-fungible token. It doesn't have to be this kind of non-fungible token. So the point where this thing becomes synonymous 
in the point where the price tags for these things are so high and everyone's jumped on and no one else is willing to buy any of these things anymore. So, you know, that's when it starts crumbling slowly. And these things are not liquid, right? So it's very hard for, an, uh, for people to like sort of pull out of the market and sell everything because you need buyers for that. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be an interesting few months left, actually. What were SNL selling on it? They made a little skit about NFTs and they're selling that. Oh, piss off. <laughs> uh, is that kind of where the elitist argument is coming from as well? Because that's one of the things that has kind of been leveled at it is that how many stems is it you're selling? Is it five and then giving one to the fans? Yeah. Is it six in total? Yeah. Yeah. So is the one that you're giving to the fans, is that a way to kind of counteract the whole, yeah, elitist argument? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, ideally, so ideally, there, we, our fans would have access to more of them, right? So I think I talked a bit about this in the other, in the other review we did, but you'd be at the, the, the best situation would be one in which groups of fans own these things, right? And they can, like, sort of each vote on which, which iteration you have and the most votes would, like, kind of work. I don't want this necessarily to be an individual's game, but right now that's actually sort of, like, really gray area of the law because the moment where you break something up in little pieces and you sell these as shares you're entering into securities and registered security selling um which is like really illegal <laughs> um, <laughs> well that's what was so happening with the uh, GameStop, wasn't it yeah except that in that case you had sort of a, a registered broker doing the selling right which was you know uh what they called like robin hood and revolution all this kind of of an institution it would be like us being like robin hood that would be exactly what it would be like uh, legally speaking so we can't really do that right now right so we the options that we have legally are like we have to sell these things to one person now obviously you know this cost us quite a lot of money to make right it was a very expensive project it took us a lot of time to make it it i think it's hard to imagine our fans necessarily being able being or interested in investing the kind of money that would make sense for us to get for this i mean we don't know right it's an auction it's going to be open-ended like we're not going to set the price for it how much are you thinking like what do you have a kind of expectation i have no idea i honestly have no idea it could be sort of anywhere you know the price ranges could be like anywhere from from like i think you know low four figures to like i don't know anything because again the market kind of determines these things right now and this is just such a volatile time we're on the way down so that might be reflected on that, I don't know. But we'll have no expectation. If we break even, I'm happy. And then anything on top of that's a bonus kind of thing. I really hope the right people buy them. I mean, that's the thing I'm thinking about recently. Is like, I don't want someone to buy these and just not use them, right? That would be sad, I think. Yeah, well, this is the, what happens if someone buys it and just never changes it? That's part of the experiment in a way. It's like, what does... That's kind of what makes it exciting. Yeah, it's like letting go, uh, like giving up the control of them, right? That's kind of part of it. It's like, okay... At what point as an artist are you actually okay with giving up, letting go of your artwork, right? Like, I think that's the idea here. And, and part of it is saying that someone could just buy this and just block it up and never use it, right? Like that, that's part of the... Does this mean that the experiment went wrong? Well, no. It just... This is like what people would do with it, right? Like that's part of the idea. Is like what would people do with the ability to alter the work? Um, would they just use it like a speculative investment and never actually make use of what this is about. If that's the answer, then, you know, that, that's sad, but... You'd think if someone was buying that they're going to be game to have a mess around and see what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, may maybe they're going to do it for like two weeks and then, like, forget about it, right? Like, I don't know. I, this hasn't happened before, so I really don't know what's going to happen with it. Yeah, that's the other interesting thing is because a lot of what we've been talking about is how quickly things move now and how, you know, you were saying within four weeks it went from being a buzz thing to celebrities getting involved to being a pyramid scheme and it goes through that cycle very quickly. 
How do you have an idea, man, of how you're going to keep the kind of buzz and the interest going for this? Yeah. Well, so what we're doing, what we're going to do is we're going to embed the song on our website, so the front page, and that's going to be sort of like a mini web gallery, right? Like that's one of the things we want to do. Is like it's interesting, right? Because so so half of this is we're letting go of something, and the other half of it is it still has our name on it. So it's like how do you sort of commensurate both of these things? One of the things we're going to do is we're going to sort of like a gallery have that in the front page of our website, so anyone who visits is going to be immediately able to listen to the car inside of the song. We're thinking about how we can build on top of it in the future as well. Like, can we add things on top of it or make things that relate to it in some way? So we're thinking a bit about that. But at the same time, I am seeing this very much as like, you know, an artistic chapter in what we're doing, right? Like, I don't necessarily want to like... It's like a first single. Yeah, kind of. Well, a first single or, yeah, it's kind of like a side thing, a side single that could have like then a side answer to it or, or, or an evolution to it. But I am also seeing it as, as like a gallery exhibition as well. Like that's kind of like the closest thing that I would say in the traditional world that it would look like, like a sort of a gallery opening that we're doing. Um, and then, you know, we're selling the art books in the gallery and, you know, what people do with it is up to the people. And I think that's, again, part of the, the interesting thing here is like, um, will it be able to sustain it, will it be able to sustain interest? Is it, but is it strong enough to be able to to pull off what it aims to do by itself without us like pushing it every week? That's part of the questions I'm I'm, I'm thinking about. Maybe it depends a bit, man. It just to kind of enter the cultural main sphere, like if it starts to kind of build momentum and catch on within all your kind of music publications and stuff. Mm. It could be something that kind of builds with time. Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, that's the cool thing about this, which I really like actually, is that. Say someone, you know, the stems, we sell them. People play around with them for a few months, right? And then six months in, everyone forgets about it. And it stays static for a while. And then like two years later or three years later or something, someone changes one. And suddenly this thing is alive again, right? Um, I think that's really cool, actually. Because in a way, this is now there forever, right? Even if it goes dormant for a while, the artwork doesn't end ever. It's, it's always evolving in a way. So it could go dormant for a year and then someone could just remember that they have it and be like, trigger it. And then everyone will maybe get a notification about it, right? Or you'd go on our website suddenly and then you have a different song there. So part of like the, the ebbs and flows are almost part of the artwork in a sense. It's like, it doesn't really ever die because at any point someone could just, someone has access to changing it and someone is able to, and then they will. So and suddenly it's a different combination that we've never had before. And it's a new song that's never been in the world. Exactly. Yeah. And that could happen at any point, even if it's silent for a while. So even after like, you know, a hundred years from now, for example, if, if the <laughs> Ethereum blockchain is still going, which I think is very likely it will keep on going, this thing can still change. People can like, you know, sell the layers and it doesn't have to be something that's necessarily front and, you know, of the mind of anyone necessarily. It could be completely in the background and never so often. But the very fact that it's possible for it Exactly because we're giving up control of it. If we break up as a band, if we stop making music, this thing could still be evolving as an artwork without us even being part of it necessarily or being aware of it changing even. So I think that's a cool thing about it, actually. What does one layer give you control of? Um, the underlying in- instrumental part of that song. So if I say I, I, I have the uh, chords layer, I can choose what chords the song has, both in terms of melody and in terms of uh, instruments. So we have like, for example, for the chords layer, we have five different chords, right? One of them is a piano, like a, just a piano solo, right? Where it's like a piano ballad kind of thing. 
The other one is a guitar, acoustic guitar, and a slide guitar and Hammond organ thing, playing a completely different melody, a completely different rhythm. It's not like, you know, it's not like it's the same melody, different instruments, it's different rhythm. All completely different. Yeah, very, very different. Um, diff- similar chord progressions, right? Because it has to, everything has to work with everything else. You know, it's, it's not like we're, yeah, it's different melodies in a, in a way. And then the other one is like, um, there's one which is uh, electronic, uh, almost dubstepy chords, like very stabby, like uh, halftime chords happening with, with, with a few uh, synths. And then the other one is uh, 80s, sort of like glam pop, uh, synth pop, uh, yeah, synthesizers as well. So, you know, and then there's, there's a quiet one as well. So, you know, the song's on and I can choose which one of these things is going to go in the song then. and then when you refresh it, it's you know you go from like a piano ballad to a synth pop hit right with with that change what other musical structures did you put in place so that everything works with everything because that's why i can't go this was it 6400 combinations mm. and everything works together yeah it's crazy yeah <laughs> um so we started with Bass and drums, really. Like, that was a thing that we had to get really, really tight. So, you know, uh, four times four, that, that was at the time 16. So we had to make sure that 16 different combos work together. That wasn't that hard, although it was a bit hard. And then you start just building on top of that, essentially. You're like, okay, how do we add now the extra thing and then the extra thing? And then slowly you start, you know, building a web um, that makes sense. And at some point, you eventually just, like, sort of, like, trust that you've done the work to make it tight on the rhythmic layers that changes on the most sort of like less rhythmic layers can be you can you can you can trust that they work without necessarily verifying it all the time so that's kind of, kind of how it works i think we started from the very core parts um rhythmic wise because if, if the drums and the bass don't work then it's gonna sound like shit right but if they work then you can be a bit more fluid on top and it can still work i guess is the idea uh, you've got that bap on there yeah exactly i mean it's the same thing as like a, you know a gig or a practice or or even in the studio you always start with the bass and the drums for one song because when you have that down and you can be a bit more fluid on top so so we, and then you know and then we started trying things out went back and forth from like working on one thing on one stem to one combination to like check it so like tracking it along all the other combinations and, and sort of like the back and forth in that way at the end we just started trying different we well, would make make sure every single stem individual start, sound good, mixing every single stem individually, then mixing different combos together. We know we still haven't heard. We probably have heard like about I don't know, maybe three or four hundred of them. We haven't heard all six six four hundred. But it's really interesting when you when you try a new one. It's like oh, this this is cool. This I've never heard this one before. Like oh, that's funny how this instrument works with the other instrument because we kind of I think almost subconsciously. Um, integrated the, the different dynamics together like so we kind of like when we're making each different instrument um or each different stem we kind of knew where to like sort of play harder or take a step back without being explicit about it so then you see this things happening without us even having planned them but the, the dynamics kind of work with each other like so you have like a point where the piano stops and the drums stop at the same time and it's like oh you know i didn't really plan this but it's it happened because as we were doing it i guess you know when we're doing each and every different part, we had the same dynamic potential in the background. So then it kind of manifests itself before. It's like, oh, that's kind of cool. So that's fun. <laughs> that's pretty fun. And each each time you change it, the visuals change as well. It is a corresponding visual element that's kind of running on a similar thing. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, um, the, the album art has also six elements. 
um, and each element is tied to a specific instrument or a, sorry, a specific layer of instruments. So when you know you change the drums, you'll change the background. When you change the uh, vocals, you'll change the characters in the in the picture and their positioning. When you change the you know chords, you're changing the the swing and the trees in the background, like what what, what they're made of and, and things like that. And they each have a corresponding, like so you know harsher sounds have a harsher image and like sort of more subdued sounds have a more subdued corresponding image. Um, yeah, so they're mapped like that. That was when I got it. When I saw that trailer with the with the image kind of corresponding, that was when it clicked. Yeah. Like, okay, I see how this is working now. Yeah, that was that was like sort of like how do we how do we communicate that without talking about it too much, right? Like in twenty seconds. And then the idea was just to make like a, you know, it won't be like that. Obviously, right? When 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 the art was live, it won't change halfway through. Um, maybe we should. I think maybe we haven't communicated that, like sort of explicitly, but you know, you're gonna listen one time through, and if someone makes a change halfway through. It's gonna be reflected the next time you listen to the song. It's not gonna reflect immediately as you. Yeah, the next cycle. Yeah, the next cycle. Uh, how long is a cycle? What do you mean? Is it how long is a song? Yeah, is it like five minutes? It's three forty-four. Then it would refresh. Three forty-four. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It might take a bit longer to refresh. It might take like five minutes for the render to happen because it's an image that's gonna change. Yeah, but it's like a stream, right? As you're, you know, it doesn't. It's you just you play it, and the moment where you you press play. It kind of like goes into the renderer and the chain and says it. It kind of like asks you know what what's on right now and the chain answers this is this this and this and then it renders it for you, right? So that's kind of how it works technically. It's just repeating endlessly. Yeah, just yeah, every time there's so there's a constant. So technically speaking, if you go on the blockchain and you like go to this to this to the kind of like NFTs that we have, they're gonna at any given point say. Right now, what you have is the piano and the drums and this kind of like vocal and this guitar and whatever. You, you, you should, and then it's going to point you to a to which to a decentralized cloud hosting website, which also is kind of like can't be taken down because it's hashed. The, the file is hashed in the token itself, so you can actually recreate the file if you have the original. You can put it back up. Anyway, these things are like essentially pointing to each other, and then. And then it points. It says to the renderer, which is a front end of the, the gallery, but anyone can bid the renderer. It says, "Okay, you put this, 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 and this files together, and this is what the song is right now." And there is, "Okay, this is what it is." And then you press play, and then you list what the renderer has made. So it's like three different, almost like pieces of a clock, like working together, like a little, a very like primitive computer almost. That's another good analogy. Yeah, yeah. It's like the pointer says this, this, and this, and this. Then the the, the cloud hosting uh, um, platform. Is provides the different materials, and then the renderer puts them together, adds some like mastering, filtering on top, and then presents it to you kind of thing. And this works sort of like automatically in a way, because no one has to maintain that in order for it to work. But people are able to change it if we if they have this. So the NFTs are just keys. That's what they are, like little keys, little levers that like allow you to make changes to the uh, to the to the sort of like that that mechanism and what is what is being pointed to. That's what you can change. So this is repeating endlessly all the time on the internet. I looked up the record for the longest song and it's 13 hours, 23 minutes and 32 seconds. Would this qualify as something that could beat that? Because it's always going to be unique. Yeah, I don't, mm, that's interesting. I don't think so. I think this is probably a 3 three minute 44 song. Like, so if you think about it, like, so you can, okay. yeah, metaphysically speaking, yeah, this is the 3 four, four minutes 44 song. I guess... I don't know. But it constantly changes. Yeah, but it's not the song that changes 
it's so it's it's the song that changes, right? It's what you're listening to that changes, but it's not changing during the song, right? So it's like every every time someone changes something, it's like you're replacing what the song is. And you're like, okay, you're replacing this slow underlying element. You know, you maybe you can okay, so it's you know, remember the, the life of Pablo? Like that's an analogy we use when like Kanye changed the mixing, sort of like kept tweaking it. Yeah, yeah. three weeks up. That's not like the long you know, it wasn't like we didn't think of this as a longer song. You could say that maybe it's like sort of like the longest, uh, well, at least one of the first, because if more people do this, then it's gonna, they're going to be as long as this one. It's something in between a performance, I think, like a theater performance, something like that, like something like a, a procedural artwork uh, or a performance artwork. Um, is it something between that, a music performance and a record, right? It's like something in between these three categories, but I don't think we have anything that's entirely analogous to it right now. Um, that we can like sort of, you know, a lot of like, I think conceptual art had some things like that, right? Like some sort of like machinery in museums that does change, that changes over time, for example, or people who are like, I don't remember the, the name of the guy, an American conceptual artist, like, oh yeah, this, this is the artwork is I'm not going to make any art for 30 years, right? That was his thing. And 30 years later, like oh, the, the, the art piece is over now, right? It's something in between all of these things combined with, with, with re- a record. Yeah. It's all, like what we were saying about it being that, so it, it is kind of the same song at its core, it's just constantly changing its aesthetic shape. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the interesting thing. It was like, what do you mean it's the same song at its core? Because you can't point to any single thing. I almost think of it like Doctor Who. It's the same person, but it's regenerating and changing. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, something like that, something like that. But it's, it's hard for us to think conceptualize that because when we think about what is a song, we think about sort of, you know, the things that together make up the song, right? It's like, you know, the, 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 the story of like um, uh, Theseus' boat, um, Argo, right? It's like, oh, you have a boat and then the ship rather, and then over time you change one plank at a time until you change the whole ship 10 years later, right? Well, is it the same ship is like the question. Um, it's not the human body. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. Regenerates every, every cell every seven yeah. years or whatever. So if it's not, the, if it's not, the, if, if it's not, this exact cells that make up the, what is one body, then it must be something else, like the shape of it all coming together. But even in this case, it's not like, you know, the, the, the sort of like the most extreme version versus the most simple version, which is just essentially, um, you could have a version where it's just vocals, for example, or vocals in a drum beat versus like a very complicated version. It's not like they have the same shape either. They have similar, like the same, similar movements, right? And very similar chord progressions, but again, it's not exactly the same. So it's more of a family resemblance thing. It's like, I don't know. I, I still actually don't know what the underlying song here is. I don't know what it is. I think, I think the, the I think this is a good thing though. If we're at the point where we're kind of questioning what is a song, yeah. you're maybe on the right track. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's really cool. <laughs> that's, that's the thing I like the most about this. Most of everything else, I think, I like this idea of like, this is a spectrum of potentialities. That's what it is. This is what the song is in this case. This is what the artwork is like. Okay, you can have the potential of it being this or this other thing or this other thing, but it's never one thing single thing you can point to one of the things i really loved about your last record and your music at large is the way you kind of punctuate it with these little idiosyncratic flourishes like an example would be on blank slate you know where you've got the gunshots that kind of come in the sample of them is there a way for you to program that into this or do you have to kind of keep it more centered on something in its core can you let those kind of natural things come out in the mix or is that harder to do when it's Constantly changing. It's slightly harder, but we do have a layer uh, called FX, which is like a really subtle one. It's like it doesn't it doesn't sort of like change the core, but it does these little flourishes. So you know you have one where like a lot of like different risers and sort of you know 
ebbs and flows of like, you know, soundscape things or like shakers or like little, uh, you know, sound effects in the background. So we have a layer that's just that kind of stuff. So I guess that's the closest we can get to it is because we're thinking, okay, if we put this as part of this, the, where do these things go, right? Like you don't want them to be part of the drums. You don't want them to be part of the vocals. So we just made a layer that's just sort of like the little sprinkles that we usually do in our songs, I guess. With what we were saying a little bit earlier on as well in terms of, you know, keeping it alive and the interesting thing you were saying about how maybe after six months it wouldn't be such a thing and then in a few years it comes back again. In future, I'm try- I was just thinking, would there be a way that you could kind of bring AI into it so that it would constantly be repeating and changing? Yes. Yeah, so, is that something that might happen down the line? Yeah. 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 So what ASIC, which is a platform working with, is, has, has done for visual art is that they, if they, they have the ability of um, automated changes, right? So it's still very early, but so what they've done already is that you can have the time of the day changing the song, right? That's one of the things you can do. So when it, when it goes to, the, uh, sorry, the, the, the visual thing, because it started as visuals. So, you know, painting can like be different at night than is a day, for example. Or, you know, they're planning on adding, for example, the weather as part of it. So whatever the weather is, um, that changes the visual thing. And another thing they're doing is like stock prices. So whatever the price of something is, then, you know, so you have like all these... So many possibilities. Yes, exactly. So this is very early, but you could definitely, I think that would be amazing, see a song which is actually changing by itself based on uh, data uh, about the world, right? So if it's rainy... (laughs) The song may be, may be sad, for example, right? <laughs> or if it's sunny, the song may be happy. Or, you know... You could program it to your location. Yeah. Yeah, you could say, okay, you can, you can add... Event, again, this is not yet ready, and this is, like, su- super early. But this is something that I'm already thinking about how we could do this. Is like, you could have something like... Well, whatever, whatever data feed you want from the outside world that you can, like, put in code in some way through an oracle, you can, you can translate that into, into changing, changing the song itself. So you could, you could have something like... Uh, I'm trying to think of a, of a cool thing apart from like the thing I just mentioned already. Once we get that chip in our brain from Elon Musk, yeah. what we can do is we can change it depending on how we're feeling. Right. Yeah. So when you're feeling sad, the song starts playing. Yeah. Sad. Exactly. When you're exactly. feeling happy, it starts. Also, well, you know, <laughs> one thing you could have, for example, is like you know how busy is the tube in this day, right? You could program like you know this is like very very advanced, right? But you could say, okay, given a certain tube line, right? how busy the tube line is from like one to 20 created. And if it's a tube line you use to commute to work, for example, that can affect how hectic the song is, right? So if you show up in a tube and it's really empty, it could be like really chill. And if it's really busy, it could be like a really sort of like, you know, hectic song. Or, you know, if the stock market crashed that day, you could have like it being a bit like sad or whatever, you know what I mean? So being in a movie. Yeah, exactly. You could have it like responding to things out there, in there, but without necessarily the thing sort of doing it knowingly or agentially, it's like automatically. I think that's a really cool idea. I think I would be like, just, you know, as an experiment and maybe even at some point it's like an actual, you know, thing that things do. Uh, It doesn't have to be like radical either. It doesn't have to be the whole song that changes, but like maybe a small thing is added onto it if it's raining, right? Uh, Or something like that. Yeah, it just changes key even. Yeah, exactly. It goes into a minor key. Yeah, yeah. But anything you can think of, any sort of external data that you can think of that you can feed into this thing. Um, and then it can get really complicated, right? Like you have like sort of combination of things, right? Like if it's raining and it's dark and, you know, it's busy and, you know, X event happened, you know, you can have all of these things together doing something on, on the underlying thing as well. Um, and you could get like, you could, 
you get very complicated advanced with this thing. It doesn't have to be like right now. It's sort of like think about the thing we're doing, for example, is like super basic event in terms of what's possible, you know, because it's like very sort of so the first website on the internet. Yeah, yeah, it's very simple, right? It's like okay, uh, person one chooses A and person B chooses B, and then but we don't have a we don't have a way yet of like ex- exactly blending these things together, or like sort of composing them in more complex ways. Um, but this is like essentially you know, the sky's the limit in terms of how complicated this can get and how many things you can build on top of this. It's really cool. It's really, it's really weird. It's like it feels exciting. Yeah, it does. I mean, if I honestly think that this is gonna be so normal in twenty, thirty years. The idea that like a song is moving based on what's happening. Else. I don't want to replace all. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't think that this is all songs should be like that. You don't want that. I don't think that's a good idea. But a subset of songs. Well, you could bring it, you know, what we were saying about the whole idea where when the weather changes, a different song comes on. You could bring that so that it's a fixed song, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like certain songs are kind of linked to certain Right, theories. exactly. Yeah, so yeah. it would be functioning in the program, but like a a fixed thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Speaking of the weather as well, and it changing, that kind of brings us on to the ecological impact, I suppose. Yeah. Which is something that's been leveled against it. Why, I mean... My understanding is that by the end of the year, that's probably not going to even be a concern at all. Right, yeah. That's hopefully right. That's hopefully right. So, okay, the way this works is the following, right? So all of this thing is built over the blockchain. What is the blockchain? The blockchain is uh, a ledger of data, right? When people mine a new block and say, okay, this is a new part of what happened, right? Like, you know, someone made this NFT or someone made this change or someone sold something, then you need a lot of people to, a lot of computers to come together and agree upon that. And the way they do that is by um, creating cryptographic proofs, solving cryptographic proofs in order to show that they have the computational power necessary to be trusted, right? Um, because if you didn't have that barrier of work, then anyone could go on the computer or have like 100 computers and sort of like hack the network, right? By lying about what happened. So you need this barrier of entry in order for it to be really expensive and really hard for anyone to come in and have a fake transaction. So it's not arbitrarily burning energy because it's like, you know, there's a reason for it, um, which is to secure the network. But obviously, right now, this is a very inefficient process. Um, and very, and, well, not very, but substantially environmentally harmful, right? Ethereum accounts for 0.02 of carbon emissions in the world, which is a relatively low number to other industries, but still quite high. Um, so what so you're slowly seeing is uh, that's very economical for the like, last few years, a move from that to a system in which you're staking coins together with the much lower computational power. So the security network then is determined by, you know, uh, the fact that you will lose your money if you lie, essentially. That's, that's the new security protocol. And then the computation you need to do is, is really, really much, much less intense, intensive. Uh, you drop the emissions by 99.98%, right? So you have 0.02 of what you currently have, which is, at, th- at that stage, it actually becomes environmentally friendly, uh, right? Because the computations that you're doing are actually better than doing it in real life, for example, using the legacy system. That hopefully happen in a year. Yeah. That, that, that's the thing. Like, even if we look at what it's emitting now, how does that compare to like other things we do in our daily life? Yeah. So there's, there's, two, there's two reasons why the, the, the environmental argument is like exaggerated and misguided, right? And I'm saying that like knowingly that people will see that as a, as a kind of like a, a way of, of dodging it, but it's, the case is that it's actually very misguided. So the first one is that the work I was telling you earlier about the security of the network, the amount of work and electricity is put in there and therefore the emissions is completely independent of what is being done on the chain, right? If there was nothing on the block or if there was a hundred things on the block or if there's an NFT on the block or no, the people who are doing the mining need to do the, are doing the same amount of mining to be able to determine the next block. It's not, 
the amount of electricity consumed is not is independent from what is being done on the network. So me actually making NFT um, or not making NFT doesn't have any impact on the carbon emission, right? Think about it as like an airplane that takes off every 10 minutes, independently of who's on it or not, right? And it's not an airplane that wouldn't take off if I wasn't on it. It's not like, oh, you know, if people didn't make NFTs, then they wouldn't. No, the blockchain is 99% doing financial transactions, right? This is just like a little cherry on top. It's happening anyway. It's happening anyway, and it will happen anyway, even if everyone stopped doing the NFTs, right? Which is like the sad thing about this, I think, in a way. It's like people are being canceled and harassed for doing something that not only doesn't have an impact, uh, speaking in terms of what I just said, but it wouldn't have an impact if, even if they stopped doing it. It would just, there would just be the, the, the 3% that's currently filled by NFTs is just going to be filled by more financial transactions, right? Like that's just going to, what will be the change. So this is an argument, essentially, I think it's, it's very virtue signaling. It's about like purism. It's like, why are you associating yourself with something that's, you know, environmentally harmful? Um, if you, if it's, you know, it's like, it's about purism in a way, right? It's, but, but then the response is like the, the kind of like whole, you know, there's no sort of like ethical consumption of the capitalism, right? Like, it's not like there's, you know, our t-shirt uh, merch sale doesn't have any carbon emissions or is like good for the environment. It's not, 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 you know, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't change these things and we are changing these things. But mere association with something that's environmentally helpful doesn't make the thing we're doing environmentally helpful, practically speaking, right? So if you think about it, the fact that if we didn't do this, there wouldn't be any impact on the environment, like wouldn't make a difference either way, makes the argument slightly moot, I think, right? Um, yeah. Is it, I mean, is this argument being pushed by people who have a stake against NFTs? I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's just sort of like just tied into the Twitter canceling virtue signaling thing. It's like someone saw this is bad and then it's a really easy thing to like, you know, sort of like have as a rallying cry against people. It's like, oh, they're doing the bad thing. Cult mindset. Yeah, they're doing the bad thing. So let's like go and be mean to them kind of thing. But it's, as I said, like, first of all, it doesn't actually relate to the underlying arguments. And secondly, even if it did, right, in terms of like, okay, so, okay, let's forget the fact that these things don't actually matter in terms of the underlying consumption. And let's take the thing that people do, which is like, okay, 3% of the blockchain transactions are NFTs, 0.02 of um, carbon emissions are, are Ethereum. So you have 0.00006% of impact, potential impact even, in terms of like, okay, let's just forget that the plane would take off anyway. Even in this case, what you're seeing is that this is more environmentally friendly than a lot of things that artists are doing and everyone's doing anyway, right? Because these things go for relatively high amounts of money. Therefore, the kind of like uh, electricity emissions per dollar are lower, substantially lower than us selling a t-shirt, right? So what this means is for $10 of a t-shirt, we're doing more harm to the world than $10 of an NFT, right? This is like, this is, this is a very small numbers. This is not a make or break. This doesn't relate to the underlying technology. We are also going to be donating money to make this carbon positive because it's actually easy because our impact is actually low if, if, if you do the calculation. So we're going to be offsetting that whole thing. Even with this in mind, people are still like, oh, you're, you're killing the Amazon. Someone literally said it to me, I'm like, it's really easy to condense things like that that are very technical and it's like highly complicated. It's also, it's that whole argument, isn't it, that once you, it's like if you call someone a sexist and they aren't, no matter what they say, they're always going to be looked at as a sexist. It's like once you say that thing, yeah, you're kind of chained to it. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, it's it's almost like a it's 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 an argument that's won by once you made the accusation, you've won. Yeah, it's an argument that's made by default because it's like everyone loves the environment. No one wants no one wants the environment to, to you know to, to be to be harmed. No one likes climate change. No one likes the fact that we're burning, you know, the forests and polluting the oceans and capitalism has destroyed the. No, no one is happy about that, right? So, 
if someone tells me you're doing this, I'm like, I'm not doing it. They're going to be like, oh, you're just justifying the, the horrible things you're doing. Because my sort of like saying, well, actually, if you look at the actual statistics here and the look that was behind it, what you think I'm doing, I'm not actually doing, that's going to be taken as me just defending sort of like horrible environmental damage. And that's never okay because it's like sort of like the, you know, the uh, closest thing we have to a manifestation of like greed and, you know, but like you know evil right and it should be i completely agree with that and i'm like you know i'm not crazy man i'm i'm i'm, I'm 20 i'm 26 i don't want i don't want to see the world burn right like me sort of like saying that i'm not burning the world is in itself an argument in favor of me doing it in a way because if i wasn't then i wouldn't be denying kind of thing right so it's it's a very kind of like you know it's a very sneaky argument in this sense and it's really hard to defend yourself against it because uh, if you do, people are going to be like, oh, you're just doing it because you, know, you want to you wanna make a quick cash rub. Speaking of greed and evil, how long until the labels try and get involved in this and get their hands on it? Because um, it's one of the beautiful things at the moment is that if musicians use this as a platform, there's no middleman. In a way, but you wonder yeah, like, how a, long until they put right. it in a contract. In a way, there is a middleman because the galleries themselves are very curated right now. So it's hard for you to get in, in on them without sort of like they're gatekeeping already, right? So you're already seeing that. But I don't think curation is a bad thing. I think curation is a, fi- is a good thing. It's like Spotify playlisting. Yeah, especially since they're only getting 10% of this, right? Like most platforms are getting really low percentages compared to labels. But, you know, this was the argument with the internet as well, right? Like, oh, this is the new thing. It's open. Even with Spotify, it was like, oh, Spotify, uh, this is the future because there's no, there's no need for labels anymore. But then obviously it became part of the system, right? So th- th- this is going to slowly become that as well. I mean, I don't know exactly how it's going to look like, but you're already seeing labels sort of investing in this technology and, and becoming part of it. Uh, they see money. Yeah, but it's always the same thing, right? I mean, the, right now, everyone's frothing. I mean, a, a, every single manager and label is like, how do we get on this thing? You know, again, <laughs> fortunately, right now, the hype is dying down a bit, which I think is a good thing um, because you're going to have less like vampirism jumping on top of this thing. And that kills it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you know the, the kind of like, we did... On the one hand, so okay, so on the one hand, again, as I said before, I think a lot of the arguments against this technology are like moot, right? On the other hand, there's a lot of arguments that are right, which is like, look, man, everyone's just doing cash grabs right now. It's so gimmicky. And it has become really gimmicky. And well, we, you know, we, we, we do what we, 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 we kind of like take what we deserve, right? Like everyone just jumped on this hype train to make a quick buck. It's going to die because of that. Um, at least like some of it and some of the hype is going to like go down. And I, you know, I think it's a good thing, again, because it's going to allow for the real projects stand out because when everyone's fucking bored of anyone doing a 30 second GIF and like adding a little bit under it and selling it for like half a million, great. We're going to allow for people to do more interesting things on that. Uh, and for that to be the main focus here. So how much did the SNL stuff go for? Uh, I don't remember. Not that much actually. Price are falling. I can check. Uh, I saw Grimes made like 6 million off of yeah, it. I don't know what she was selling. Yeah, she was the first one who was like big artist who jumped on top of it. I remember when she I was like, oh no. Here we, go. <laughs> Here we go. The SL thing went, went for 300 grand. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Man. They don't need 300 grand. No. <laughs> I, think, I think they're donating it actually somewhere. Um, oh, that's all right. Yeah. Are they? Yeah, yeah. It's going to a, yeah, it's going to a to charity. Okay, that's good. Oh, I feel bad for telling them to yeah. piss off further now. <laughs> yeah. How, what have you learned from this musically that you're kind of carrying forward into? Oh, so many things. That was, that was, I mean, the coolest thing was actually making this thing, which is like, so, you know, when you make a song, usually what you do is every step of the way you have to like go 
you know, narrow the possibilities down, right? So you go, you start from like a, some rough ideas and you start like sort of polishing the edges and making things more specific, more precise, you know, uh, you, you start from a thousand possibilities, you end up with one, right? In this case, you end up with more possibilities than you started off with. So it's exactly the opposite process. So at every step of the way, actually you have to somehow find a way to both make the thing you're doing, the, 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 the like sort of like, part of the song you're working on more precise and more specific and more like sort of polished, but also simultaneously make the whole project more open ended and more wide and sort of like less specific. So it's like a dual process in which you have to ensure that you're working across two different par- paradigms and two different power lines that actually move you, pull you in different directions. One of them is openness and composability and change. And the other one's like specific and like, you know, good underlying thing. Um, and like, you know, making sure that every single thing you're doing is really polished and really professional. So that was the most, that kind of like makes you put you in a schizophrenic mindset because you have to ensure that both of these come at the same time. And that we did kind of like lose it, like, cause it took us so long to make sure that both of these things work really well with each other. Because on the one hand, what you could do is you could ensure minimal changes, right? Like very small things would change, but that would sort of maximize the sort of polish a perfection of it on the other end of the spectrum you could go like with as many changes as possible which would make it much much harder to make sure that every single thing was like work with each other was musical right so we tried to hit the balance there um and i think that was the hardest thing about it, is finding exactly what the balance is which is you know so in, in short i guess it's like something like it's, it's the reverse of the process originally speaking it's like you take it inside out you start from you, you take the, the initial stages of, of the songwriting, which usually is like how, okay, let's look at different ideas here, how we could make this different. And then you sort of like choose one, you take that and you make out the end result. So it flips the whole, the whole process upside down, which is really cool. We had so much fun making this because again, we didn't have to make decisions at some point. So we could like have different things happening that we, we wouldn't normally be able to in normal songs, which was great actually, like not having to choose sometimes and adding more things and that being part of the art itself. You know, the band, Anyway, we, we like to experiment with things and try different things out. So having that be part of the end result was really, really exciting, actually. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.